0: Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Welcome back to the Shit Talk Podcast. This is Liz Broder. How are you? Happy Monday. If you're listening to this on the day it dropped, it's actually President's Day, 2023. And for those of you who have been following along since the beginning, you may recall I talked about habits, having milestone dates, reaching your goal, and we had set Memorial Day weekend as the end point goal. And I set different milestone dates to check in with yourself and have smaller goals while in attempt to reach that bigger goal. And milestone number three is President's Day weekend. So here we are. How are you doing? Checking in. Um, if you haven't started, feel free to get started. What have you been wanting to do? Do you have any health and wellness goals that you are looking to accomplish? Or have you started? Have you fallen off? How's it going? Why did you fall off? What needs to happen to get back on track? This is just a reminder and a check in. And also, time is just flying. It's already Memorial Day weekend. I mean, excuse me, it's not Memorial Day weekend. It's already President's Day weekend, but before you know it, it will be Memorial Day weekend. And it's so cliche, but I grew up, my parents are always like, no, as you get older, it just goes faster. Time flies. Like, yeah, whatever. Oh my God. Since I turned 30 in 2020, time has just flown. If I think back to my life in 2020, and then my birthday just passed early 2023. And it's like the past three years, everything that's happened and what I've done, I was speaking about it the other day with someone and they were like, oh, so you had like, a pretty productive three years. Like COVID happened, most people did nothing. They were on lockdown, life kind of stopped. But but you kept doing everything. I was like, well, I guess so. I mean, I never thought of it like that. I guess I did have kind of a above average productivity level for 2020. And I can only hope that continues. And everyone obviously was in a different state of life and going through different things at that time. And for me, it just happened to be Get your ass into gear, kick it up, get that goddamn A game going. Here we are, President's Day weekend, 2023, milestone goal number three. So I hope everyone's doing well. Today I want to talk about inflammation, which is something I've talked about a thousand fucking times, I know. But it occurred to me a few weeks ago when I was discussing inflammation that I have not differentiated acute inflammation from chronic Inflammation and I want to make sure that I make that really clear because inflammation is a word that I'm going to continue to use It comes up a lot, especially with shit talk and gut talk it's Becoming more and more prevalent unfortunately as we continue to get sicker and sicker and it's important that I make it clear The different types of inflammation instead of just dropping the term inflammation. So that's actually what motivated me to do this topic It's gonna be pretty brief but I still think it's important to hit on. So want to be clear. There's acute inflammation and there's chronic inflammation. Acute inflammation is our body's natural reaction. It's a normal immune response to an injury, something like a cut, um, bodily stress, like if you have COVID or the flu. When a wound swells up and like turns red, it hurts. That's inflammation. And generally speaking, Inflammation is the body's immune response to some type of irritant, and that could be bacteria, that could be a splinter, that could be a paper cut. That's a normal reaction, and you want that happening. That's your body responding to something that irritates it, like I said, and is doing its best to fight it off, and basically it's responding to something that shouldn't be there. So that's acute inflammation, and that's all good. Chronic inflammation is where we run into issues. This causes long-term damage. Chronic inflammation is when you have acute inflammation that basically just does not go away. So this then just wears down your body. And like I said, it's chronic, it's long-term. So it's not like a quick, I had a splinter, it was red and inflamed, the splinter was removed, it healed and it's gone. It's like the inflammation stays in your body. So inflammation is seen along basically every disease state. I mean, heart disease, diabetes, kidney issues, GI disorders, IBS, IBD, celiac. When I had, when I was diagnosed with celiac, before that, I mean, the amount of inflammation, you know, you get blood work done and there's different things you can test for. Albumin and C reactive protein are two of the ones that we'll look at for inflammatory responses. And it's just the the lab values are very telling. So we don't want long-term inflammation. It puts your body in a state of stress for the long term. And the thing about when you're stressed think about it, even just emotionally. Perhaps you're more reactive, you're less tolerant, you're more emotional, less resilient in certain ways. And all this is true for your body. So long-term chronic inflammation wears down your body, it heightens everything. It's bad. We don't want it. Another thing to note about inflammation, so adipose tissue, which is fat, causes inflammation. So the more overweight you are, typically, the more inflammation you'll have, the higher or lower certain lab values will be, depending on which lab value it is, but it's typically indicated in lab values of people who are overweight or obese that they have higher amounts of inflammation. And this is because that adipose tissue causes inflammation. It's also harder to lose weight when the body's inflamed. And it also just sets you up to be more prone to illness because the body has more of this inflammation. I can tell you from what, and this is not like there isn't necessarily scientific data to back this up. I'm speaking from my personal interaction with people and clients and patients, but What I can say since COVID has come into our lives, people that have had the worst cases of COVID that I've seen and people that have actually had long-term COVID symptoms have typically been overweight or obese, meaning they've had more inflammation. I think their body was more susceptible to the damage because they had more inflammation and COVID hit them harder and in a lot of cases lingered and they had the long side effects. So again, that's not necessarily going to happen to everyone. But my point is I personally believe the more inflammation, the worse they experienced COVID. And it was usually due to the higher levels of inflammation were usually due to the overweight or obesity factor. So that's just something keep in mind. Interesting. Let's talk about food. I'm a dietitian, And how can food be inflammatory or anti-inflammatory? So ugh, I hate to talk about these two idiots, but sugar and alcohol, it's like the hallmarks of inflammation. They should probably, as a dietitian they should probably just be called inflammation. Like, oh, I'll have some inflammation and soda with a splash of lime. Um, I'll have that inflammation in a cone with sprinkles. Like it's literally like sugar and alcohol. I promise you they're causing inflammation. The more you have it, the more inflammation. So unfortunately, cut those as much as you can. We also see inflammation from things like seed oils, which is like canola oil, peanut oil, safflower oil, soy oil. Fried foods, which are oftentimes fried in these oils. Packaged goods and processed foods, again, usually have added sugar or these seed oils. And then red meat and processed meats. Those are all very highly inflammatory foods. Another one that I wanted to mention, which I actually do have a brief rant about, but I promise I'll keep it short, is oat milk. I don't like oat milk. I don't know why it's such a thing. It's like fucking hipster Brooklyn with their oat milk lattes. I don't know when it became trendy to have oat milk, but here's why I don't like oat milk as a dietitian. Like Oatly, for example, has the same glycemic load as Coca-Cola and the same amount of vegetable oil as French fries from like McDonald's, like fast food fries. So the glycemic load is how aggressively something spikes your blood sugar. 20 is high. So it's like having a can of Coca-Cola. Like I said, you're having a serving of Oatly spiking that blood sugar. And it's highly inflammatory because it has all that vegetable oil, like as if you're having French fries. So between the sugar, between the vegetable oil, definitely not good for the microbiome, definitely not good for the gut, and it's spiking your blood sugar levels. I don't like oatly, I don't like oat milk. Choose a different milk, please. Unsweetened almond milk, unsweetened cashew milk. The nut milks, obviously unsweetened. I'm trying to get them with as few ingredients as possible. Ideally, they just have the nut, like almonds or cashews. We don't want the added gums or nonsense. We definitely don't want the seed oils. So that's my brief rant. I hope that wasn't too bad. But stay away from it, because foods with those added seed oils, like oatly, cause inflammation. Now, anti-inflammatory foods. So the biggest one to mention is omega-3 fatty acids. It's not a food, it's a nutrient, but that's found in things like fatty fish, like salmon, mackerel, sardines, tuna, extra virgin olive oil. Walnuts are very high in omega-3 fatty acids, things like avocado and avocado oil, chia seeds, flax seeds, and flax oil, fruits and veggies. Um, Cherries are highly anti-inflammatory, as are tomatoes. And then turmeric, my gold star student turmeric, talk about them a lot. They're spice. You can also take supplements, take them in supplement form, highly anti-inflammatory. So those are the foods really to target and focus on when looking For anti inflammatory effects. And that's what brings me to the Mediterranean diet, which is known as being like the diet to do. And there's a reason. It's shown to have big time anti inflammatory benefits and is associated with some of the longest living people on earth. We call that, um, we deem to term the blue zones. There's five of them. Two of those five are in the Mediterranean, Sardinia, Italy, and Ikaria, Greece. So if you're not familiar with the Blue Zones, they are five places across the world where people live the longest and the healthiest. They're known for longevity, and two of those places are in the Mediterranean, and they consume the Mediterranean diet. Although I will say for them, they're just eating and living. They, they're not like, oh, I'm on the Mediterranean diet. Like, this is just how they eat there. We have named it the Mediterranean diet. But there's a reason. It's known for longevity, anti-inflammatory, and just supporting an overall healthy, longer life. Now we'll get into the shit talk because don't for two seconds think that anti-inflammatory and Mediterranean diets don't impact your gut. Of course they do. Here we go. A study published February, 2020, which some may say before it all went to hell. Although I will say not really. That was like, that was a, that was a fine time. And here we are. We're on the better end of it. But in a, the journal called it's called gut real original name, the journal called gut compared the gut microbiome of almost 600 adults it was an older sample group, they were ages 65 to 79. The participants were assigned to either a Mediterranean style diet or a regular diet. I will get more into what the Mediterranean style diet is, but for I'm just reading so to be clear about this specific study, their Mediterranean style diet was rich in fruits and vegetables, nuts, legumes, olive oil, fish, and low in red meat and saturated fats. So there was that diet or the regular diet. There's a lot. There's been many studies that have found that people who regularly consume the Mediterranean diet have reduced incidences of several chronic diseases, things like obesity, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, gastrointestinal cancers like bowel cancer, cardiovascular diseases, fatty liver diseases, insulin resistance, chronic kidney diseases, and neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So this study was addressing whether these lower rates of diseases might result from changes in the gut microbiome that we see when people are on the Mediterranean diet among people assigned to the Mediterranean diet, there was reduced inflammation. Yeah, no shit. Saw that a mile away. But in addition, the gut microbiome was changed in ways that previous studies have shown is associated with a lower risk of bowel cancer, a lower risk of insulin resistance, and a lower risk of fatty liver disease, lower cell damage, and associated with improved cognitive function. My goodness. So lastly, the gut microbiome, this I thought was interesting. The gut microbiome reverted, meaning it went back to a less healthy profile after the people stopped the Mediterranean diet. So this study suggests that the beneficial health effects of the Mediterranean diet may be due in part to the changes seen in the gut microbiome. And we know changes in the gut microbiome and a nutrient that very much supports a healthy... Gut microbiome is fiber, and the Mediterranean diet is very rich in fiber. It it has fiber from fruits and vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. As I said, all of which support the gut microbiome, act as prebiotic fibers, support probiotics and the healthy bacteria, help produce those short chain fatty acids, and support microbial diversity. I can't say enough about fiber, which, as I just said, big part of the Mediterranean diet. They have fiber-rich carbohydrates, not the processed white flour, blood sugar spiking carbs like we have on the typical Western diet where we like have these foods, strip them of their nutrients, package them up, and send poor little innocent school children on their way. And that's why we're all sick. They eat whole foods in their natural state, not stripped. And just to digress slightly, although not totally digress, but just a bit more on fiber, Fiber, I've talked about it a thousand times. I did an episode on it, big for gut health, production of short-chain fatty acids. We love fiber, supports microbial diversity, Mediterranean diet, rich in fiber. I just want to make note from a study I found, evidence has shown that an additional for every additional seven grams of fiber you have in your daily diet, it reduces your risk of bowel cancer by 8%, your risk of cardiovascular disease by 9%, your risk of heart attacks by 9%, your risk of strokes by 7% and incidence of type 2 diabetes by 6%. So that's, again, for every 7 grams of additional fiber you have in your day. Just saying. Get your fiber up. How's your fiber game? What are you eating? Take a look. Okay. Now, so a healthy Mediterranean diet consists of daily consumption of things like whole grains, legumes, nuts, fruits and veggies, and olive oil. It allows for weekly consumption of fish and dairy products, so like two to three times a week, And room for red meat and sweets occasionally, so like once a week. The diet is very high in antioxidants because it's very rich in fruits and vegetables. It's very high in anti-inflammatory compounds, which we see in the healthy fats I mentioned, the omega-3s. We find in the fatty fish, the extra virgin olive oil, nuts, avocados. And again, once again, high in dietary fiber from the whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes. So between the fiber, antioxidants, and anti-inflammatory compounds, And very low intake of things like butter and saturated fat, lower sugar, lower alcohol. It's not hard to understand why this diet has been shown to be associated with people living well into their 100s and living well. And that's why the Mediterranean diet gets, you know, I hate to say beaten like a dead horse, but it is constantly name dropped and touted as being like the diet. And like, there's a reason. And just to... Mention a few things to focus on. Um, Of course, you can Google different recipes. I'm sure there are a million and one cookbooks. But like some obvious, basic Mediterranean diet-friendly things. Greek yogurt with fruit and nuts. Overnight oats or chia seed pudding with some fruit and nuts. Veggies and hummus. Always choosing extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil. And really emphasizing healthy fats. Avoiding those seed oils. Avoiding fried foods. Avoiding packaged goods with the seed oils very big on fatty fish. You can bake your fish, roast it and do it with veggies. Do a one sheet pan meal. Easy. Throw on the fish, throw on the veggies, roast 350, 400, whatever it calls for. Done. Big on veggies. So like salads or grain bowls with as many veggies as possible and adding in like tuna, chickpeas, quinoa, shrimp, beans. It's like for some reason, the Mediterranean diet, nothing is easy in life really. That diet to me always seems like one of the easier diets. It's shown to be very sustainable. And I think that's what they really get so right about it. It's not restrictive. And because it's not restrictive and it's sustainable, people aren't miserable on it like they are on all these other extreme diets where they're like completely eliminating food groups, which is just like on what planet are you never going to have a carbohydrate again? On what planet are you going to eat red meat for the rest of your life and only red meat? Like it's just not sustainable. So Mediterranean diet – People seem happy on it because it does allow for sugar, alcohol, some of the shit we're not supposed to eat, but not a lot of it. And what I will say too as a dietitian, is that because it's so big on the healthy fat, the omega-3 fatty acids, fat is the most satiating nutrient. It not only has the least amount of impact on your blood sugar levels, but it's the most satiating. So you're fuller for longer. You're not thinking about food. Your blood sugar levels are stable. Your mood and energy levels are stable. That's another thing not to go overlooked. And it makes it a little bit easier to not be thinking about food, to not looking for snacks when you're satiated and you're eating these nutrient-dense foods. So another thing Mediterranean diet gets right. My final point, like I said, I'll, I'll keep it short today. It's important to note. So as a dietitian, a lot of issues you see people have with food. People are We need to be eating to live, not living to eat. And people place a reward value on food. It becomes much more important and has a much higher meaning to us than it should. It's used for comfort. It's used for stress. It's used for burying emotions or trying to numb certain things. And this is when trying to find moderation or balance is really difficult for people because it's hard to do that when you're using food for more than just fueling your day. I encourage people, it should be fueling your day Every meal does not need to be the most exciting meal. It doesn't need to be an eight-course Michelin-starred thing. Although I will say what Michelin gets right, very small portions, usually. So not to knock the Michelin or the multi-course. But my point is every meal doesn't have to be, like, the most exciting meal. Sometimes you need to keep it basic. Sometimes it's like I have veggies left over from yesterday. I have um, some roasted salmon left left over from dinner. That's a nice lunch. Like, done. Done get your nutrients, be satiated, fuel, you know, you need fuel. It's not, you shouldn't be skipping meals and not eating. It's just, we turn to food for more than what we really should. And that's where people run into problems. I think the Mediterranean diet, in addition to the fact that it's just promoting healthy fats, fiber, fruits and veggies, antioxidants, it's, it's not a diet that is restrictive or making you like, completely overhaul your life and your diet, which is why, again, I think people really do well with it. So if you are interested in trying it, see where in your diet you can, you know, you have room for improvement. Do you have a lot of sugar? Do you drink every night? Start, find something, start there and, and gradually eliminate it. And then gradually increase your healthy fats, gradually increase your fiber, gradually increase your fruits and veggies. See where you can make little tweaks. Don't do the, you know, dramatic, Cutting out all this sugar. I'm never having sugar again. I'm only eating salmon and lentils and um Greek yogurt for the rest of my life. It's like one, we all know you're never going to do that. And two, when it's the it's the drama factor that doesn't work for people. It's got to be sustainable. It's got to fit into your life. So, and that's with most things, but especially with diet and food. And I really think that's what the Mediterranean diet gets so right. So, up those anti-inflammatory compounds get the omega-3s get the fiber get the antioxidants try the Mediterranean diet if you're interested and if you're not interested that's fine um you don't have to try it but I would say try to gradually decrease the saturated fats decrease the sugar focus more on the healthy fats the satiating nutrients antioxidants plant upping those plants and see how you do yeah that's it that's it for this week and